0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman of that district came and called out, Have pity on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not say a word in answer to her. His disciples came and asked him, Send her away, for she keeps calling out after us. He said in reply, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and did him homage, saying, Lord, help me he said in reply, It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. And then Jesus said to her in reply, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish." And her daughter was healed from that hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Today the Church celebrates the memorial of St. John Vianney, who is the particular patron of parish priests, not all priests. And I say that not to distance myself from St. John, but the appropriate thing to do is not congratulate me and tell me Happy Feast Day. I'm a missionary and a religious, and I don't do parish work. This is the day where we pray for our pastors, for the priests who serve in our parishes. And that's very important that we regularly do that on this day in particular. The figure of John Vianney is held up as the model of what a good holy pastor pastor truly is. And we want to pray for those who are entrusted with that great work of caring for our families in their parishes that they grow by his intercession and his example into exactly that kind of holiness. Growth in holiness, however, is not an easy matter. It is one thing to talk about it, and it is another thing to be about trying to do that. And our readings today in the Gospel and our first reading, both in their own way, engage that issue. We have this ironic contrast of on the one hand, the Israelites standing on the cusp of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And yet, at the point of arriving to that place where God had been bringing them all along, they make up excuses for why they can't enter. And then in our Gospel, we have a Canaanite woman coming to the Savior promised to Israel and she won't take no for an answer. Note the difference in spirit and the difference in context, and yet this odd similarity, this juxtaposition, the children that God had saved and is leading arrive on the doorstep of what they had been promised and what they had been looking for. and they find reasons not to enter. How often in our own lives have we seen this same dynamic play out? Where we desire something, but the difficulty that it presents before we even try doesn't just gives us pause, but it gives us excuses not to go forward. It's all too common and this happens in the spiritual life too. We long to be more virtuous. We long for more peace of heart. We desire to be more prayerful. But when we come up against the demands that that places on us, suddenly we're tired. Suddenly there's not enough time. Suddenly, there are many other things I need to attend to and I'll get to this later. And what happens? As much as we say we want to grow, we hold still. We rest where we are. This happens painfully with those who know the difficulty of struggling against addiction, where the difficulty of moving towards sobriety, the difficulty of resisting those cravings can cause such pain and such difficulty. It's easier to say, what am I thinking? I can never change. And it becomes self-fulfilling. And I remain in the desert where I am. So much of Life, so much of the spiritual life is that we don't know how to leave the desert. The Lord leads us through it. And what do we see with Israel? The Lord works miracles in Egypt to set them free. He destroys Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. Every single day, He rains down a miracle to feed them from heaven twice every single day. Is there any doubt on the one hand that the Lord is with them? Is there any doubt on the one hand that the Lord will defend them, that the Lord will protect them? If the Lord could destroy Pharaoh's army, which was a greater military force than anything that was active in Canaan, could he not help his people? to enter the land and settle there. When we look at it with sober eyes, when we look at it with hindsight, this frightened approach makes no sense. On the one hand, they see the Promised Land. These scouts actually entered it, and it is indeed flowing with milk and honey. It's everything we want it to be, but it could be hard. And because they're afraid, they make excuses. And when we begin making excuses, did you ever notice that the heart amplifies the excuse? It's not just that they're mighty and they're warlike, they're giants and we're like grasshoppers. We begin, the minute we begin going down the road of giving ourselves permission not to move forward, we amplify our reasons for remaining where we are. This happens in the spiritual life as well as in regular life. And so note that this people, this people still refuses to trust in anyone other than themselves. And this has been the issue that has run along the history of Israel that we are reading It's not that they're great sinners. And the issue was not that Pharaoh's army pursued them. The issue was not that they were hungry in the desert. The issue will not be in the future that they're thirsty in the desert. That was never the issue. Those were all the excuses. The real issue was they never really learned to trust in God. The fact that they were hungry wasn't the problem. It's they allowed their hunger to make them afraid. And why were they afraid? They didn't think anyone would feed them. Why were they worried about Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea? They didn't think God would save them. And time and time again, the Lord intervenes with his help And they love the help, but they never learn to trust in him. They can't feed themselves, and so they're afraid because the only other choice is to trust someone who's not them. They're at the Red Sea, and they're afraid because they can't defeat Pharaoh on their own, and the only other alternative is to trust someone who's not them. They stand on the doorstep of the promised land. God has kept his promise. He brought them where he said he would. He then says, Go and send some people to look at it and verify that it's waiting for you. And the scouts come back. And not only the scouts, but the people are all too ready to believe this is too dangerous. Too difficult. We're better where we are. And the Lord is throwing up his hand, saying, And where are you? You're in a desert. And you'll die there. Because in the end, these excuses that we make for not moving with the Lord to where he will lead us, in the end, that just leaves us in the desert, it leaves us in the wilderness. The Lord says, if you don't let me lead you into the new land, you'll never get there. And so you're right, you'll die. You know, we're afraid we won't possess the promised land because if we try to enter, these warlike people will kill us and we'll die before we see it. So we won't go and we'll stay in the desert and we'll die here without seeing the promised land. And the Lord, in that Stern warning to the people, the 40 years of punishment is basically saying, this is what you're telling me. This is what you are asking for. This is what you are making for yourself. No people on earth had greater reason to trust the Lord than this people. And note how easy it was for them not to. And that should sober all of us up about how important it is for us to do that difficult work of actually coming to trust the Lord. Faith is not belief in things about Jesus. It is belief in Jesus. And to believe in someone is to place one's trust in that person. Trust is meaningless if there's no risk. If there's no possibility I won't get what I want, what does trust mean? Note what trust implies. I am risking that I'll be disappointed, but I'm confident that you won't. I don't see how this resolves in my favor, but I trust you to get it done. Israel didn't, know, de- didn't need to know how Pharaoh's army would be overcome. They just needed to trust that God would do it. Israel didn't need to know how God would feed them. They just needed to trust that he would take care of them. Israel doesn't need to know what the game plan is for entering the Holy Land, the Promised Land. They just need to know that the God who got them to its doorstep would get them there. Note the difference. Note the difference. But when we preoccupy ourselves with the details, we always lose. Always. This is not to say that we never plan. This is not to say that we become irresponsible. But it is to say that within responsibility, there must be trust in someone whose name is not my own. And it must be the Lord who has been leading me. If I trust the Lord to get me this far, why wouldn't I trust him to get me a little bit further? If I trust the Lord to get me through great difficulties, then I can trust him to continue doing so and to be with me as I encounter those difficulties. But note as well how the Lord leads his people. He doesn't take the difficulties away from them. He doesn't make it so that Pharaoh's army doesn't chase them. He doesn't make it so that the food is waiting for them and they never go hungry. He doesn't make it so that it's trivial to enter the promised land. There are real difficulties that he leads them to and through so that they might know how steadfast, how constant, and how mighty his love is. Because the gospel is not fantasy land. Life is difficult. Personal life is difficult. Moral life is difficult. Family life is difficult. Life in the church is difficult. That's real. But what's even more real than those difficulties is the presence of the Lord who stands by his people and so now we contrast this with this other example the Canaanite woman who comes seeking the promise that was made to Israel a promise that wasn't directly made to her but is implied in Jesus coming to save all people And she comes to the Lord crying out after him and Jesus doesn't respond. He's not ignoring her, but he's not responding to her. And there is a difference. Jesus is hearing that cry and he is teaching us something here. He doesn't answer right away. Just like for us, he doesn't always answer right away because Jesus is not at our service in that way. Where when I call, immediately he says, what can I do for you? Sometimes the Lord is pleased to push us and to pull us along after him. The Lord keeps moving and what does she do? She keeps following and calling. Because Jesus wasn't sitting still, not answering. He was moving. And she keeps moving with him. Even as she's calling without an answer, he is leading her, and she is following. And at the moment, her way of following him is to keep crying out to him. And note how Jesus is leading her through the closed hearts of his own disciples. Send her away, Lord, because she's bothering us. She's making all of that noise. She's inconvenient. We hear this all the time in all kinds of ways. Why do you spend so much time at church? Why don't you take a few Sundays off? Why do you have to go do this? Sometimes it's the world that speaks to us, but sometimes it's also our insecurity speaking to us. Why do I keep calling out? He's not listening anyway. Why do I keep approaching him? Why do I keep trying? I'm not getting what I want. I'm not hearing my answer. Notice what Jesus is doing here. That experience we all go through at some point, it's right in front of us in this gospel story. And when we feel that way, sometimes we feel like we're less. And so, note how Jesus turns and responds to her. It's a shocking statement when we say it's from the lips of Jesus. It is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Thank you very much. Oh, my. Jesus confronts her with the voice of her deepest insecurities about herself. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for the world around me. I'm not good enough for the Lord. You're not answering me because I'm not good enough. There's a note of a, the nastiness of prejudice in the Lord's tone here. He's confronting her with that too because she's heard that all her life. But Jesus also, as, she kept, as he kept moving and she kept following him, led her to a point where she could answer differently out of that. You're right. I'm not good enough but even those who aren't good enough can get something. And it may not sound like this is a statement of her own dignity, but listen to that. I may not be good enough for everything, but I'm good enough for something. And that's when Jesus turns. And you can almost hear the smile in his voice. Great is your faith. not good enough. But I'm good enough for something. That's all Jesus wanted to hear. What a remarkable moment that is. And notice how he gave her every reason to run away, even to the point of risking offending her. And the Lord speaks to her that way because he knows there's more in her than that. There's faith in her that can move and rise beyond that. What a remarkable thing. What a remarkable thing. This gospel reading shows us, on the one hand, the ugliness of prejudice that is a fact of life in the world. But it shows us that there is a way of rising above that and out of that. And when Jesus turns to that woman who his own disciples were looking down on, because she wasn't the right race, she wasn't the right culture, and he says to her, great is your faith. Notice how he elevates her to a dignity that her people didn't have in the eyes of those men following Jesus before that. And now suddenly there's something different in them too. It is a, you know, this is a difficult gospel passage, but one that really does reward a patient and careful reading. But notice how Jesus, gives her every excuse to react according to anger or being easily offended and walk away. And when she proves victorious over those things by her faith in him, she gets what she wanted and more. What a great example. Israel, the people who received the promise, found reasons not to take it. The woman who was promised nothing gets inserted into the promise because she wouldn't take no for an answer. And here we are. And in a few minutes, what are we going to say to the Lord? I am not worthy. You're right. I'm not good enough. But only say the word and I shall, my soul shall be healed. But I'm good enough for something. Because you're good. Because you're good. And what we get here are not the scraps that fall from the table. What we get here is the fullness of the promise. Unworthy though we are, we get to come forward. And we don't have to wait for scraps to fall. Because the Lord has lifted all of us into this new dignity where we can stretch out our hands and take freely. And so receive him freely. And don't make excuses in your heart for why you can't receive him fully. Come forward, receive him, return to your bench, and appreciate the gift you've been given. Because it is great indeed. Amen.